This episode is sponsored by Hands Heal Electronic Health Records. We know massage can alleviate stress, reduce pain, and improve function. Now prove it with Hands Heal EHR, an online client-centered record-keeping system that can help you grow your practice, save time, and chart meaningful results. Hands Heal EHR is committed to helping all types of massage therapists create a meaningful record of all massage sessions, wellness, and treatment quickly and easily. Choose between a detailed soap note format for documenting treatment sessions or a basic format for wellness sessions. Identify tangible results of your massage to keep clients coming back and referrals coming in. Simplify your record keeping with a secure, HIPAA-compliant, cloud-based system that can be maintained from any web-connected mobile device. You can learn more at handsheelehr.com. That's handsheelehr.com. everyone, welcome to the Massage Business Blueprint podcast, where we discuss the business side of massage therapy. I am Alyssa Haynes, and I am here super excited and a little nervous to have our very special guest today, Diana Thompson. Hi, Diana. Hi, Alyssa. It's great to be here with you. Thank you. Everyone, I want to tell you a little bit about Diana. And I feel like this bio is just absurdly shortened because Diana has done so many cool things that in order to give a bio, we would need a whole hour into itself. But let me give you a really brief overview. Diana has been a licensed massage therapist for over 30 years, which kind of makes her one of my heroes. She has a private practice in Seattle, Washington, treating acute and chronic pain disorders. Diana lectures at massage, acupuncture, midwifery, chiropractic, physician, and physical therapy conferences internationally, and is a consultant for massage therapy research with the Research Institute at Group Health Cooperative in Seattle. Her newest endeavor, and we're going to talk about it more specifically later, is Hands Heal Electronic Health Records, a patient-centered web-based EHR for massage therapists. She has a new book, Integrative Pain Management, Massage Movement and Mindfulness-Based Approaches, and she's also the author of Hands Heal, Communication, Documentation, and Insurance Billing for Manual Therapists, which is now in its fourth edition and is probably one of the books I most recommend for massage therapists. Diana is a recipient of many national awards, including the President's Award for AMTA, Massage Therapist of the Year, One Concept, Humanitarian of the Year from Performance Health. And weren't you the president of the Massage Therapy Foundation at one point too, Diana? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. I thought that one was left out of there. But let's turn it over to Diana to tell us a little bit more about her journey through massage, which has become the favorite part of these interview podcasts for me. Diana, how did you get into massage more than 30 years ago? Well, it started in high school, if you could imagine. So I used to line up all my friends in the rec room at the apartment building that I was living in and um, line them all up on the floor, face down, and I'd go from back to back to back massaging everyone in the complex. So kind of crazy. How did you even know what massage was at that point? Like as a teenager, had you received massage or just seen? No, no, I, you know, I have no idea. I just, there was someone that said, hey, would you rub my back? And it was so much fun that I just started doing everyone and someone would tell someone and then they would show up. And 
soon as I got home from school, word got out and they were all lined up waiting for me. Nice. So where'd you go from there? Well, in college, uh, I worked in the gym handing out towels. That was my official job. And the athletic training room was right next door to the cage where the towels were and the laundry was done. And the athletic trainer would bring me in um, to massage people. I was learning how to tape people, but I was still tearing the tape with my teeth. And so he wouldn't let me tape anyone. (laughs) And uh, so I was just doing the massages and having a good time. And I was pretty well known in the athletic training room because I played rugby. So I was injured all the time. And uh, so it went from there to on my breaks home from college, my mom would send me off to some type of massage class. I got certified in touch for health while I was in college. And uh, then after I graduated, I went straight to Seattle and was walking along Broadway and saw one of those little signs that had the tear-off phone numbers at the bottom. I don't know if you really remember Like an old-school flyer? It was so old-school flyer because there was no internet. Nobody had cell phones. You would tear off this phone number and take it home with you to make the phone call. And it was for a massage clinic. So I went to massage school in 1983 and got licensed. So... That was the beginning of my official career. So you got licensed, and what was your first gig in massage? Um, I was working at a massage clinic in the university district that had um, kind of beads in the doorway kind of thing, and a clothing optional sauna downstairs, and it was very hippie, and very new age. It was not at all suspicious sexually, but it it was um, a very, very new agey sort of clinic. And um, I was there for a year. And meanwhile, I would work on the weekends doing sporting gigs. So softball teams, rugby teams, sailing team. I had a professional track athlete that I worked on. So that was just the beginning. And then in 1985, I started my own clinic. Wow. So did you start your own clinic like straight up by yourself? Well, there was a chiropractor downstairs and she and I became very good friends. I had been in a couple terrible car accidents where um, one, I went partially through the windshield and the second one, I just shattered the windshield with my head because... It was also in the day way back when there were no seatbelts in cars. Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, right? <laughs> you just all bounce around in the back seat. Whatevs. It's fine. You can ride in the back of the wagon with your, with your face pressed against the back of the glass window. It's good times. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's what got me in to see a chiropractor, and she got me doing massage in her storage room and then the upstairs came available and I rented the whole upstairs from her clinic. And in three years I had 17 massage therapists working for me. Wow. So you ended up running a a really big place. 
I did, and we did nothing but um, injury massage. So we worked with mostly acute traumatic stuff. Um, I didn't really get into chronic pain until much later. What was it like working in injury care then? Was that, were you dealing with insurance reimbursements at that point or did that come later? Um, the first time I could bill insurance was in 1986. Um, we were doing car accident billing and workers comp and we didn't start billing uh, major medical until 1988. Wow. But yeah, we were billing insurance for years years and years and years up here. So it's, it's a common thing for us and we're, we're pretty dedicated to it because access is everything. So at what point did you get more into chronic pain stuff and research and this, more of the stuff that you're doing now? Well, I wasn't getting older, but my clients were. And uh, so things were happening that, um, just really kind of took me in that direction. They were getting knee replacements and hip replacements and um, all kinds of orthopedic stuff. And down the street, there was a really big um, cancer treatment center that got built. And so we were getting a lot more um, post-surgical work with cancer. So the shift kind of went two different directions. So the acute part kind of went towards post-surgical work and the chronic part went to orthopedic surgeries with older adults. That is so, um, it is a story I hear a lot. I feel like so much our work starts out in a, in a general way and then we, we follow, we, our education and, and what we do follows what, I, I consider like the clients that I most adore what they need and that guides like my training and, yeah. um, and where I go next, which is what led me to some oncology massage training and some other things like that. But that is, that is such a common thing to hear and it, it, it's kind of heartening. And I think it, it speaks to the caregiving aspect that we feel it in the also, field. It also, I think, speaks to the flexibility of our profession. Yeah, you can go anywhere and do anything with this, and you can find some way to help anyone on your table mm -hmm. with skilled massage. But whole yeah. other podcast episode we just like piloted right there, Diana. So, <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now, and if I interrupted you a little bit more about how you got there, if you want. No, no, that's, it's, that's the problem with asking someone who's been doing this forever where that comes from, because it's a long story. I bet. So, um, so these days, I uh, have been working on this electronic health record thing, that after um, choosing to write a book in that, like who would have thought that I would write a book on charting, and, um, but that happened in the 90s, and um, and then in the 2000s, it was like adding insurance into it and more communication stuff and how to do expert witness testimony and, you know, all kinds of things um, made that more and more interesting and complex um, for me anyway. And, um, and then the government just really shifted and started um, thinking about how to be more transparent 
in healthcare and how to communicate more broadly because there was a lot of expense just in redoing care. Um, and electronic health records became the way to do that. And my goal has always been bring massage therapy into integrative healthcare. We've got to um, move in that direction just professionally so that we can have more access to patients. Patients can have more access to us. Um, we can be more of service like we know we can be. And we don't have to lose our individuality and our ability to um, take care of people from a wellness perspective. You know, that will always be there, but, but it's nice to have options. So um, in order to do that, we have to communicate the same way that other healthcare providers do. So it was time for us to move into the electronic record keeping era. So you've so got. That's how I've been spending my time for probably five years now. And are you still seeing? You're still seeing hands-on massage clients, right? Yes, and I. Um, I've kind of shoved them into two days, so I see um, six people a day, so twelve a week. And are you still seeing them in that in in an independent? Is it your clinic? What What does your massage practice look like now? I moved into a clinic that a friend of mine owns, Mayo Therapy. Uh, and associates it's um she's got like 17 massage therapists of course that might be my number 13 massage therapists working for her but um I got the nice room in the back and <laughs> um you know I just pay rent and um and I get this beautiful waiting room and lots of company you know lots of nice massage therapists that I get to hang out with. So I'm not alone, which is nice. And I'm independent, which is ideal for me. Yeah. So yeah. what is your, this is our final interviewee question before we get to jump in to, to hear about a little bit more about Hands Heal and then also about how to connect with pain care practitioners. Um, what is your fantasy job location training? Like if someone handed you a blank check today, what would you what would you do with that? Uh, you know, I <laughs> uh, from a selfish perspective, I would start making jewelry. Yeah? Yeah. All I, right. I, just, I love jewelry. I don't wear a lot of it. Um, but I love beading, but I would love to do metalwork and or welding. I would totally get into welding some big sculpture type things and maybe putting some semi-precious crystals you know big ones in the sculptures and I just I would love to work with my hands and metal that's awesome I have a nephew who is just about to complete um, his vocational training for welding and I I want him to show me things that sounds really really cool yeah it's, I took a little intro class and totally fell in love with it it's very um, kinesthetic and intuitive in that, you know, you put that big mask on and you can't see anything. You can't see what you're working on. You know, it's, it's too dark and you just have this big bright light in front of you. And um, I just found that it was really easy to go from people to, to metal. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, I have to say you're the first person who has um, just completely surprised me with your answer. So thank you for that. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. All right. We're going to bounce into our halftime sponsor, which y'all probably already know is Hands Heal EHR, which is an online client-centered record-keeping system that can help you grow your practice and save time and chart meaningful results. Handheal electronic health record system is a it's easy to use it's comprehensive and you have an option you can use simple wellness notes or more detailed treatment notes whatever is going to work best for you in your practice you can track progress with pre and post session pain function and mood scales you can eliminate paper files and file cabinets from your office you can store images and range of motion videos too it is accessible on any internet connected device you can link it to scheduling and payment systems it is secure and hipaa compliant and i think hipaa compliancy is probably the second or third most common question we get when we start talking about these kinds of systems and any kind of system it is only $25 a month and if you want to learn more about it you can go visit handshealehr.com but diana tells we've since we've got you and since you created this i'm guessing out of your own necessity you kind of already mentioned that tell me Tell me a little bit about what I missed and what you really want people to know about this system. Well, the thing that I think is the coolest about it is that clients log on before and after their sessions to complete these scales. So we know to track pain, we could do a zero to 10 scale, whatever, but really function is the most important thing. People will do whatever they can before they hit their threshold of pain. So if we just track pain, it's going to look like it's the same every time we see the person. But if we track function, maybe getting dressed and driving to work gets them to their pain threshold. And then maybe it's playing catch with the kids in the backyard. And then maybe it's, you know, starting to go back to exercise where they hit their threshold of pain. So there's all these levels of progress that we could be noting. The other thing that's really important is to track mood. Um, I think we start to get a little worried if we're saying anxiety or depression or even stress, but mood really kind of captures how is this pain making somebody feel? How is it affecting um, their daily life and how they feel about themselves? And um, although we can't therapize someone, we can certainly track how it's affecting them emotionally. And that's, there's more research on how massage influences anxiety and depression even than pain. So those are important things to track. Clients can go in and do it, and then the session's over, and they can go back in and say how much better they feel afterwards or not and leave you some feedback, and it cuts down on your charting, which is awesome. I love this, this yeah. concept of bringing the client in to be part of their record keeping too. Like what a, I didn't, I did not, I you know I've, I've looked into the system a little bit. I'm going to kind of do the, the trial thing and, and really dive into it, but I had no idea it did that and how, man, we're always, we're always trying so hard to find ways to make clients part of their care and more responsible exactly. for their care and more collaborative in their care and to take people who, who really want to feel better and give them a tool to help them record that and help us is brilliant. I had no idea that was in there. Yeah. And I think it's easier than having them write a journal. Absolutely. Because it takes, you know, two minutes 
for them to do it before and after, and yet it'll make such a difference and it gets them really committed to their wellness. Sweet. And again, everyone, you can learn more at handshealehr.com. And of course, we'll have a link to that in our podcast notes. So let's transition into the real full topic that brought you here today, um, which is how to connect with pain clinics and other practitioners treating people with pain. So what advice do you have for us on making those connections and, and, and nurturing those relationships? Well, I kind of want to start with um, how big the news is right now, how, how prominent the news um, is displaying opioid epidemic, this opioid epidemic, that it's really a big thing and it's a problem. And I don't know if you know this, but the opioid epidemic grew out of the 1990s when pharma decided that they would start marketing opioids to healthcare providers. I'm just going to jump in. I actually did know that because I worked in pharmacy from 1997. I was a pharmacy technician right out of college. Um, I, what ended up, I ended up in a pharmacy. Um, I was in pharmacy from 97 to 2006 and holy moly, that era of marketing directly. Like I can't tell you how many uh, pharmaceutical reps bought me pizza over those 10 years and donuts. They just fed us all constantly. They fed the techs and they educated the farm, well, educated the pharmacists. But um, it was insane. But and I they even told you it wasn't addictive, didn't they? Oh, they absolutely did. It was just, it was, I, I accompanied a few pharmacists here and there to some of the fancier dinners um, because I had a real interest in, in, in the pharmacy end versus just like the computery insurance billing end that technicians did a lot of. Um, so I, I went to a few of the fancy dinners and, and heard a lot of their shticks and their lectures. And, oh, they absolutely said that it wasn't addictive. Yeah. And things like, uh, this is not addictive and it helps your, your patients stay ahead of the pain. Which yes. you know when you're when you're when you're heading into some procedure and you're fearing the pain of it, that was you know and they, they taught pharmacists these lines and and it, and we believed them in a lot of ways and um, yeah, but validating that and it's so nice to hear someone say that out loud. But I'll let you get back to your yeah. background. Well, and thank you for validating that. I mean, I read this stuff. I'm reading the research on opioids all the time because I'm fascinated and. I'm just shocked that they would say that. And, and so just to give you the numbers, 11.5 million people annually misuse prescription opioid medication. Oof. Million. And 42,000 died every year from opioid overdoses. Wow. And the craziest statistic I have for you today is that only 54% of opioid overdoses are unintentional. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's difficult to document suicides with overdose because it could go either way. But what they're saying is, is that there's a huge percentage of people who cannot live with this addiction and they don't know what else to do. And so they take their lives. So whatever you think about drug users, 
These are our grandmothers, our mothers, our kids, people who get hooked on pain medication because of some trauma or illness or accident, some injury, and they end up committing suicide with overdoses. It's, it's horrific. So one thing that I like to say is it's not an opioid epidemic. The epidemic is pain. So what's going on that so many people are in pain because they're even having difficulties with NSAIDs. So 100,000 people in the United States went to the ER because of NSAIDs. So ibuprofen, um, Tylenol is not an NSAID, it's in a different family, but Tylenol also, and there were um, 16.5 thousand deaths from non-prescription painkillers. So one in 10 people in the United States and globally have chronic pain and it costs the United States $635 billion a year. So just all of that to kind of say, this is a big problem. And this is completely in our wheelhouse. This is what we do. We work with people in pain. And um, what I think is really important if you want to start marketing yourself to pain doctors and pain clinics is to understand chronic pain, understand what it is and how to work with it. So I just want to help you understand it a little bit before I talk about how to market yourself, because that level of knowledge goes a long way Excellent. when you're talking with doctors. And I think that's a really big stumbling block for a lot of us. I know that it is for me, like feeling completely not confident in expressing to another healthcare professional what I know about pain and how massage can help with that. So I am excited about this background. Yeah, thanks. So. They have found that people with severe pain have worse health. Uh, it's not a leap to go there, but their stress is worse, their posture is terrible, their ability to function in daily life is decreased. Um, and then it leads to, and this is something I don't think we always think about, fear of movement and isolation. So chronic pain is really a biopsychosocial issue. It's a very complex condition. It's not just the physical. We're dealing with um, mental issues. The fear of movement is a big one. Um, the physical issues, of course, but also the social issues. Once you start to not want to do things or move or you start to isolate yourself, you don't go out, you lose contact with your friends, sometimes your family, and then you're getting out less and less and less and you're moving less and less and less. So uh, we really want to think holistically and we want to address more problems than just the original source of the pain. 
So I think we're really good at finding out where it hurts and working on that spot, but we have to remember that we've got a whole person in front of us. And there was a very interesting study that I worked on um, several years ago where they combined, you know, where they compared wellness massage, full body relaxation type massage to site specific treatment massage. And you might remember, what were the results? I have no memory of that. <laughs> it was a little bit ago. I would think it was 2008, maybe. Um, and they were the same, same results. In fact, the full body massage did a little bit better. It wasn't statistically significant, but it was slightly better than the site-specific treatment massage. And I promise you, because I interviewed all the massage therapists that worked in that study, they were good. I, I hand-picked them. And it wasn't like we picked massage therapists that didn't really know how to do treatment massage. Because we're in Washington, we've been billing insurance for decades. People get trained in massage school to work on treatment. And they were good. And yet, so it just reminds me that there's a whole person on the table, their neurobiology has been completely rewired, so things are not as they appear in the nervous system, and we have to think about the pain being stimulated by any other part of the body. You get this neuroplastic pathway in your system where something just repeatedly irritates one spot. You could stub your toe and your low back would hurt. You could overstretch your shoulders or neck and your low back would hurt because that's what's wired to get stimulated no matter what you do. So we just have to remember, don't cause pain, treat the entire body and be multidimensional in your approach. So don't just do massage, but make sure you're doing awareness training or some relaxation training, or you're recommending some sort of meditation or relaxation program at home. Homework is really important. And that you're doing some really gentle movements. We have to retrain the nervous system to bypass that overstimulated area and start to stimulate or create new pathways, new patterns in movement elsewhere. Because I also think we start compensating and we get into this compensational pattern that we need to break. So, so be holistic and be multidimensional. So the buzzword that you'll want to use with doctors is biopsychosocial. You tell them massage therapists have been biopsychosocial therapists for decades, forever, hundreds of years. That's who we are. That's how we work with people. And, um, and they'll be impressed because they don't quite know how to approach people that way, how to have their treatments all be um, diverse enough, holistic enough 
so we can add something to the team that they don't already have. So enough background. What I also want to talk to you about is what you need to know. I did a survey when I wrote the pain book. Um, I did a couple of surveys. So we had 23 authors in the book and uh, each writing about a different discipline, a different massage movement or mindfulness-based approach to treating pain. So I gave them all this survey and they were to hand them out to the healthcare providers that referred to them and to the patients that came to see them. And one of the questions that we asked was, why do you send, why do you refer your patients to this massage therapist or this yoga teacher or whatever? And um, what stops you from referring to anyone else? Why is it this person and why is it not other people? And two crazy answers. Well, one made sense, but the other one was totally crazy. The reason they send them to that person was because they got a massage from them. And that made them feel comfortable. And I just think that's a little crazy because they don't do that with cancer patients. They don't do that with somebody who's got irritable bowel syndrome. Hey, go see this gastroenterologist that I went to. He's great. So they do it based on respect and reputation um, and they don't do that with us and the reason why is because there isn't enough research and yet there is only what do they say 17 to 20 percent of medical um, treatments are research-based true i know and yet they keep saying, well, it's not evidence-based. It's not evidence-based. But if you think about it, the reason I said it kind of makes sense is we had little to none research 20 years ago. But in the last 20 years, we've got a lot more research. In fact, the Massage Therapy Foundation petitioned to have, petition, that's not the right word, went to the Samueli Institute, asked for a systematic review to be done on pain. And when they started investigating it, they found so much research, they did three systematic reviews. And they were able to do two meta-analyses along with those systematic reviews. So that's huge, that says a lot. So know those three uh, systematic reviews. You could do nothing else but take those three with you when you start asking for referrals. So read them, understand them. They're available on the Massage Therapy Foundation website. They also have a database of the 100 research articles that those systematic reviews are based on and the meta-analyses. And we'll totally have a link to this in the podcast notes as well, everyone. Right on, because it's money right there. That is gold for you. The other thing you have to do is document. Document, document, document. If it isn't written down, it didn't happen. You've gotta have some evidence, some clinical evidence to show that what you're doing is effective. You, 
not everybody else, but what you're doing is effective. And they're not just looking at pain. They're looking at function and they're looking at mood because that's where the research is. So you'll want to get a system, number one, that's electronic, number two, that does measurement scales. And it's really handy if it automatically fills a graph because then you just show them the graph and they can see the progress over time and your clients can see it and be really impressed with the progress that you're getting with them. Number three is to learn to communicate. You've got to find a common language. When you communicate, this is my big bugaboo, you don't want to make crazy claims. Even if you think you know that they're true, like massage reduces lactic acid, or massage increases blood flow, or you know circulation, what, whatever it is, don't say it because the mechanistic research is not there to support it. Even if we all think it's true, which some of that is not, very not true. So talk about results, not claims. So talk about the fact that they can now exercise. Talk about the fact that they're sleeping better and say how much better. Talk about the fact that they're driving again, walking again, having sex again, that they're able to be independent again. So all of those things are really, really, really positive results that make a big difference. So there's no need to make claims that you can't substantiate. So those are my three big pieces of advice. Know the research, document your outcomes, and find a common language to communicate with, which is results. So we get, we get a, a question pretty frequently um, which is massage therapists who feel really overwhelmed by all of the new pain science. And they may have participated in conversations online that have been super aggressive one way or the other regarding um, evidence-informed practice and charting and pain science and feel completely scared to say anything. Uh, and, and feel really unprepared to to talk to clients and never mind other healthcare practitioners about claims and and results. Where where do you send someone to start? You know, let's say you've got a let's say a new therapist out of school and their school didn't provide this kind of background, which most you know don't. And and there's just that's that's a that's a whole other episode. Sorry, I almost tangented there, but. Um, or even a practitioner like me who, I mean, I've been around a while, but I haven't done, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I know enough to be able to, to speak in an educated manner. Where, where do you send me to start? Yeah, I think to start, um, I, I'll start with the research side because that's my, my most recent background. Um, I want to tell you the difference between a systematic review or meta-analysis and a case study, for example, or even a small pilot study. 
Um, with a systematic review, you're taking lots and lots of articles, uh, research articles that have already been published, and determining how valid they are. Um, you grade them, uh, you give them a particular level, and then you can make broader statements about, oh, massage can help with post-surgical pain, for example. That's one of the articles. There was general pain, post-surgical pain. Ah, what was the other one? Maybe cancer pain, I think. And um, so if, if it's a meta-analysis, that's the highest level of critical thinking or evaluating on existing research or a systematic review which summarizes research but also grades them, um, you're standing on pretty firm ground. So I wouldn't look to a literature search or even look and see what's out there and grab onto anything that you see because you'll find as many things pro massage as you will con massage. So it just depends on what somebody is looking for. You'll find what you're looking for. But if you go straight to the top, the highest level of research, that's where you want to hang your hat. Um, so the systematic reviews and the meta-analyses that the Massage Therapy Foundation funded are the place you want to go. So stick with those, really. Um, I think if you could just talk about the clients that you have, then you're also in pretty safe ground. Just don't exaggerate. Um, so talk about what you can, but don't leave out what's wrong. I think that's the other thing about those bigger research studies. They really evaluate what went wrong with the study, um, what possibly skewed the results, so that the next researcher can do a better job. And I don't think we always think that way. We have to be critical about what we're doing and what we're talking about. Um, the more honest we can be and say, well, you know, I think they got better because they suddenly started going to yoga class at the same time. Or they got worse, and I'm not taking it personally because they decided to run a half marathon for the first time in a year since their injury or, you know, whatever it is, just really look at the other influences at play and be honest about it. So don't think you have to have a huge result or say something really big to be respected. That is, I, that is a good start. <laughs> You've given me enough to start with. <laughs> okay. Anything... Any, this has been so, um, I, I so appreciate, I need to hear these things and I need to hear them in a variety of ways and from a variety of people who guide me through it and, and hold my hand through it in, in many different ways. And I so appreciate your approach and that's helped me absorb a lot, a lot more. And I think that hearing more about how to talk about pain and how to talk about pain science and how to talk to other practitioners 
Uh, I think I absorb more every time I hear it in a different way from from someone else. So I I very I very much appreciate you giving me a lot more to absorb, and I am really confident that our listeners feel the same way. Um, anything else? You know, anything? Any final thoughts you want us to end on? Yeah, I think when you're approaching doctors, um, whether it's in a pain clinic or a cancer clinic or just doctors that your patients or clients already have, um, ask what you can do to help them. This is not about you selling yourself first. You have to show interest in them. Let them know that you will support the patient self-care plans, that you've got all this time with the patients that you don't, um, and that you're really happy to do what you can to make sure that what the doctor wants to have happen can happen. So create teamwork opportunities. Um, create a need for yourself by knowing what it is that they need. And don't just have it be about you trying to look good in front of them. Make them look good. And that's, I think, going to get you a foot in the door and make you different than someone else who's just trying to sell them something. Excellent. Thank you so much, Diana. This is just, yeah. this is so much. This is an episode I think a lot of us are going to listen to many times so we can keep absorbing more from it. Right. So everyone, again, you can check out Diana's uh, electronic health record system online at handshealehr.com. And again, we'll have all the links to that at the podcast episode. And you can find that at massagebusinessblueprint.com. And you click on the little podcast tab and you will see all of our 150 something podcasts up to this point, the past couple of years worth of podcasts. And uh, you can see all of the notes and links and resources that we've put there under Diana's episode. That's all I'm going to say. This has been enough and I don't want to give anyone any more information that might uh, overfill their brains. So thank you again, Diana Thompson, yeah. for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks. And everyone have a really wonderful day. Bye.